0: Hi friends. Thanks for joining me, and uh, you're going to be happy you did, because uh, you're going to be in for a real treat this next hour. I'm uh, chatting here with one of my best friends in the whole world, a dear, dear friend I've known for many years, um, and he actually knew me before I knew him. Maybe you'll say something about it. He's the author of God's Crime Scene, uh, Forensic Faith, um, A Person of Interest, and most notably, Cold Case Christianity, which is now coming out in its 10th anniversary addition, of course, you know who he is, our favorite cold case detective, Jay Warner Wallace, who got his name from me. That's right. I, I that's made right. you change your name because... On this show, on this show, <laughs> you made me
1: change my name yeah, uh, so many yeah, years ago. Never and forget you know,
0: it, it is, it's just one of those kind of um, spiritual, I don't know if irony is the right word. It, I don't know if that's the right word to, to refer to the sovereignty of God, but the fact that um, before you were still an atheist, here you were Listening to the show, and and now you are really the the most competent replacement for me behind this microphone, and kindly so when I, I happen to be out of town, and I know your schedule is unbelievable, uh, and yet, yet you come in and you fill in for me and just do such a, a first rate job, Jim. I'm always proud to
1: have you on board. So well, you know how can, you've been so good to meet Greg over the years, and yeah, I, I met you. By just by met your voice, you know, on the air, and I forget who (laughs) who first turned me on to the show, but but I remember it was during this period of about nine months or a year where I was um, starting to be interested in something that I had never been interested in before, which was you know, is this true? Is there is there a God? Is Mm -hmm. is is Christianity reasonable? And I was so um, I think stumbled. And uh, I re- I resisted resisted, for, resisted it for a lot of years because the people that I knew, and I didn't know a lot of Christians, but I knew mm-hmm. a couple at work. Mm-hmm. And I, of course, I met dozens and dozens on the job when we take people to jail, and they would tell me they were Christians. And I just never <laughs> I thought this is <laughs> instant a stupid- conversion when the handcuffs go on, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I just thought it was such a stupid. Um, I just didn't think there was any reasonable person who could hold this view. And, yeah. And so I needed to hear a reasonable voice, Mm -hmm. somebody, you know, and as I think about this, as I get older and I'm talking to, I do a lot of work now with, and with uh, officers who are in trauma, that a lot of it is, can I see myself over there? Mm -hmm. Um, Is there somebody who's a believer who I could resonate with? Like Mm -hmm. I can imagine myself holding that position Mm -hmm. because that person either I respect or Mm -hmm. uh, offers some, uh, view that I resonate with or some approach that I resonate with. And a lot of that is, is what I needed to hear. Right. When I was, I was, I was, I was of course looking at the evidence, but you could still geek out on all this and not, I needed to hear a clear voice that I could, I could, uh, bond yeah. to that I could, and then I found yours and, um, that was super helpful. Yeah, uh, for me, wow, so I, I remember just uh, d- making sure I was by that radio, um, you know, <laughs> to hear to hear when you're showing.
0: Well, that out. that was very so it was a long time ago, and a lot of yeah. uh, things have happened. And of course, we built a relationship over the years, first with you and Brett Kunkel, and working together there, and and uh, then we kind of I don't know met by accident sometime We I don't know you talked about it a little bit last night at mm-hmm. our event that we did together. But in any event, uh, I want to move on from there uh, to talk yeah. about this important uh, reissue of your book, and. Uh, um you know, I, I'm just going to read a portion of my endorsement of the original book because I just—it's okay. so—it uh, captures my sentiments about your contribution here. And, you know, I've been around—this is not my first rodeo, you know, I've been around this block about the authority of Scripture and uh, defense of the Gospels as historical eyewitnesses, all that, for a lot of time. But here's what I said, and uh, I read the book carefully, Cold Case Christianity— is simply the most clever and compelling defense I have ever read for the reliability of the New Testament record. And in fact, part of my question to you now is, I don't know how you could improve on that, you know, and I wasn't sure, did you just kind of re, re smash embellish? I know you got more you're very good at graphics, and so you have more graphics in there, and that makes it more uh, more appealing, more uh, more teaching moments, so to speak. But or, or maybe you actually added more content to it as well. So, what is it in, yeah. in this case?
1: Well, yeah, I think Are
0: I, but, both or both, and, yeah.
1: and I felt too. I, I always felt like like I'm not interested in doing. There's a lot of work to to do another book launch and to yeah. do another, uh, just to even look at the book and re and, re- and I, and I remember I, I didn't do my own narration of the book until many years after it published. The audio version was done by an actor mm-hmm. and it wasn't until just a few years ago that I was asked to come in and do the audio version of yeah, the book. I think so that's I really getting- smart
0: because people are used to your voice for a lot of reasons with your own podcast, with your public presentations sure. and stuff like that on the show here, you know, et cetera. Right, right.
1: And so I, and I've, so I got a chance to read, you know, you basically you're sitting in a small cubicle, as you know, know. and you are reading your own book. You just did it for street Smart, So you know exactly what I'm talking about. And and it's like, I I just, to me, it's, I cringe, right? Like the last (laughs) thing I want to do is to have to read my own book because (laughs) I'm so critical. I'm going to find a thousand things. I'm like, Mm -hmm. I I shouldn't have written it that way. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, And of course that happened for me. And it was after that, that the idea came up and it was probably in maybe year eight. Mm-hmm. So after that, the idea came up, Hey, would, would you be interested in, in looking at this book for a 10th anniversary edition? Mm-hmm. And I thought, yeah, you know, now I'm ready because I just read it. Yeah. For the audio right. version. Right. And I'm like, ah, that's, I could see a thousand things I want. Well, to that, change. That's, so that
0: raises another question. Did you read the 10th anniversary edition too? Yes, I okay, did read that I just good. finished
1: doing that. So that but uh, so what I ready. found
0: about this is that you know your work and you know how to phrase it and a lot of actors don't get it. And so they I I read I listened to a you know, Bible by actors thing reading it and I'm reading yes. it. So they don't get it. It's obvious. No. But um uh what I think this is so complete though the way the way the earlier edition, but I right. want people to get the new edition because of the new things that you 've done with it and um, now i 'm looking at my dates right now, I think we are releasing this on the sixth uh, right. on the sixth so that would mean your book released yesterday is that that's right? right? formally fifth, okay that's correct now I yeah. thought it was supposed to be the twelfth, which was next week, which was the same no. day street smarts was getting released you jumped me man you jumped oh, my gosh. <laughs> i thought
1: you heard well, about i had that. no idea that you know you don't get the time to figure the timing on these things i often yeah, will say I if you're going to do the book for me i like to do it in the fall mm-hmm. and i knew i was going to be gone re- working with B- Billy Graham association uh, yeah doing some marriage resiliency mm-hmm. stuff during the summer so i cannot participate um, off off the grid for two months. No, of course. So, yeah, so this yeah. was a good time to do it, you know, but, yeah. but when I sat there and I, and I looked at that, that script, that, that text from the first book, you know, what I've learned is remember, this is, this came out very early. Um, it was, uh, it came out very early in my, my public speaking. Right. And a lot of the things that we, we talk about are from our books. And and you learn how to inflect certain things or how to mm-hmm. what the primary focus is or oh there's a better way to say that. Right. And so I developed not as we're visual. Mm-hmm. You know, like I like talk about textual criticism and I compare it to 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 a cell phone and a message in a cell phone in a text. And yes, this is right. something that I started doing on the stage with young people after I wrote the book. And I realized, oh, that's a much better way. That I should have put that in the book. So there's a lot of stuff that I learned from working on the stages that I went sure, back and wrote course. into the book to update it so yeah. that it would make better, be clearer and, and quicker to read. But there's a bunch of, I don't think there's a single page. I remember when I went through it, Making, uh, you know, everything I changed, I, I put in red so the editor can see. If we do this, <laughs> it was all bloody every much, page. Yeah, right? every book's going to have a lot of because I didn't like the way things sounded. So I understand. So I went back and rewrote all of that.
0: No, it's it's uh, it's excellent. And uh, the first book was excellent. The second one is a step up from that. And it's uh, I want to get into some of the details of it because there were things that you say in your public presentations you deal with in the book that are, are on the minds of lots of Christians because they're challenges and uh, one. One of them is the differences between the Gospels, okay? Gospels are different. The resurrection count. They don't agree, you know. Now, these, these are probably over-exaggerations when you look more closely at some of these things. But nevertheless, right. uh, in your own testimony, I'd like you to pick this up from here, that it, this didn't seem like a weakness to you when you were exploring the credibility of Christianity. You read the Gospels. You said this is a strength, not a weakness.
1: That's what, actually, it, was, it was what triggered me. To to even start any. So I, when I first I got a Bible, it was a pew Bible. It's the, it's sitting back here on my shelf. Uh, so it's a very it's Bible kept it because the, the first Bible I ever bought. Wait, 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 wait. It's a pew Bible, which means you took it out of the pew. No, no, I they were selling them. At, oh, okay. Uh, just it checking. Was I wasn't like a, sure if you lifted it. it no, it wasn't <laughs> a Barnes and Noble. It was like a B Dalton. No, no, I know you, you lifted who, it
0: from the church. You went to the church. No, I didn't still, want to spend oh, any money. I could have
1: uh, actually. I think I was going to a church where they didn't even have pew Bibles. Oh my goodness! So so I but but this guy broke me to to mm-hmm. to examine Jesus. So I went out and I bought one, and I think it cost me six or seven dollars. Yeah. So it's just that t- typical cheesy little you know hardcover sure. pew Bible yeah and uh and, and when I typical read the gospel
0: Jim Wallace too get exactly. the really cheapest, <laughs> yeah, exactly, okay, and, go and, ahead.
1: And I just was amazed by the differences because I thought, you know, interestingly and historically, nobody worked out those, nobody ironed out those differences. Nobody Mm -hmm. eliminated what would be later perceived as an apparent contradiction. Right. But more importantly, you know, it's the one thing we always talk about when you get assigned to a homicide because you're never present as the detective. The on-scene officers are the ones who are handling it. And then they immediately, okay, we got a homicide. They call dispatch and they ask for the homicide team. Mm -hmm. And this is going to be in the middle of the night. I'm, I'm about 47 miles from my agency mm-hmm. and so it won't be any traffic in the middle of the night, but it's still going to take me, the time I get dressed, I always have a suit ready. Uh, and my, my gig bag is sitting on the floor, so right. it's not that much time, but it will probably be an hour and 15 before I get there. So my only request of dispatch is, Hey, separate the eyewitnesses because if you don't separate them, they're going to start to give you the same story when you get there an hour and 15 Because they're talking later. to each other and... They're talking to each other and I don't want them talking to each other because I want all of those apparent contradictions. It's like we have this rough edge puzzle Mm -hmm. and each person's bringing something and it's not like the puzzle doesn't work. It's just a matter of where do I seam it? Mm -hmm. And so my job as the investigator is to take all and believe me, when we finally get to trial, I guarantee you the defense is going to nitpick every one of those apparent discrepancies right. and juries are just going to you know, figure it out on their own. And it's never been an issue for me because I expect that. Mm-hmm. And I don't care if that thing happened an hour ago or three decades ago, mm-hmm. there will be uh, what appear to be contradictions and they there aren't, they aren't contradictions. No, there's just things that I have to puzzle.
0: Actually, there's a great illustration. It's an anecdote. It's not an illustration. that actually happened of a woman standing behind the perp and and the man at the desk in front of the perp, Mm -hmm. and uh, there's a robbery that takes place. And the the descriptions, I don't know if you can quickly 60 seconds kind of compare those. That would be helpful, I think, for people to see how this, hey, these things totally contradict. And it turns out when you look at the details, they fit perfectly. But the fact that there were different, at least initial, uh, characterizations was uh, was an evidence of authenticity to you. You know the illustration I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, no, I have, this
1: happens in every case I have. Uh, so it, uh, often I'll see if I a bank robbery. What the person experiences, the teller, the teller gets to see what is in his hands. The teller gets to see that that's a demand note. Most bank robbery, not every bank robbery is like a jump over, like an old Wild West bank robbery. Yeah. Most in our agencies are like more subtle. Mm. They're demand note robberies. They come in, they put a, a note on the, in front of the teller. They display a gun on their waistband. They're now getting money from the teller. And if you're standing behind this guy, you may not even there's a bank robbery going on. Right. And so the view from the teller is very different than the view from the person standing right behind the same guy. Also, the teller has now a heightened sense. This is like, oh, she's trying to figure out how to push that button without him seeing it. Mm-hmm. But also, she's probably now m- noticing things that are key, if she's been trained well, mm-hmm. that the person behind may not notice at all. Uh, now, what could change that is if the person behind, for example, um, happens to have purchased a shirt for her husband that is the same shirt that this guy is wearing, and she happens to notice, oh, this guy's got the same shirt, I guess got a Costco yeah. for my husband. Mm-hmm. Well, now if I interview her, she won't know much about, it. she'll say, I don't even think there was a bank robbery. I mean, nothing. I didn't see anything unusual. But I knew he was wearing this checkered shirt that you get at Costco. <laughs>
2: Whereas
1: the person at the bank robbery could be like, you know what? I don't even know what kind of shirt they were. For all I know, he was wearing a t shirt. I, was I wasn't looking paying at attention the gun. I was looking at the dang note.
0: Yeah. So a lot of it
1: displayed. is right. Right. So a lot of it is you know what is it that catches your attention. Also, though, what is your personal history? Mm-hmm. What are your likes and dislikes? If you're somebody who likes glasses, and mm-hmm. you're going, oh, that, these are, those were those from those cheap glasses from Zenny because I have a pair just like them.
0: Oh, from Costco.
1: That's great information because because yeah. you you can say okay, and the other person will say, you know what? I don't know if he was wearing glasses. Maybe he wasn't. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. That stuff will look like a contradiction. Right. Now here's the question we have is. When it comes to the scriptures, mm-hmm. how could it be, though, that if this is divinely inspired, that there could be any, even perception? Now, I don't think we have contradictions, the like the kinds I just described in scripture. But you might have, well, is there one angel or two angels? Is there one Mary or two? How many? You know, these things seem to be slightly different. and And why would God allow that? Well, I think that if God wanted to inspire four documents in such a way that we could then later test them using the same principles we use with eyewitnesses, mm-hmm. he did a perfect job mm-hmm. because these don't ring. By the way, if you provided only one account, you think there wouldn't be a skepticism about that? Mm-hmm. If you provided four identical accounts, you think there wouldn't be skepticism about that? Mm-hmm. No, instead, God used humans inspired by the Holy Spirit to do what humans mm-hmm. do. In their own language, with their own set of interests, with their own communicative skills, and that is what they did in the Gospels, and it allows us then to have a level of certainty if we know something about how eyewitnesses perform, mm-hmm. and that's I think exactly what God did.
0: One of the things that um, really in, that I kind of took to the bank personally with regards to um, your analysis of the Gospels was this concept of a chain of custody. Uh, no, that's a, that's, a, uh, that's a cop concept, right, and uh, yeah. an evidence concept, but one of the things, every one of your books, I mentioned God's Crime Scene, Forensic Faith, A Person of Interest, which I'll tell you, A Person of Interest just blew me right out of the water, because uh, when you look at, at uh, and if somebody hasn't read that, you need to read it, okay, I've read them all. I, well, maybe I didn't read Forensic Faith, but I, all the others very carefully. and um, uh what person of interest demonstrates is the kind of unbelievable impact that Jesus of Nazareth has had over the entire world in just about every single field you can possibly imagine. And you document this and chronicle this and, the, the, you know, you, you see this kind of explode on the screen, all of these things. It's really magnificent. And so it just—I mean, it, to say that it puts to death this idea that Jesus of Nazareth never existed, of course, is a total understatement, but but uh, you take it so much further beyond that. Um, uh, now I'm trying to remember the original question I was going to ask of you. I get involved with these other books. But, uh, oh, I remember, Chain of Custody. So so yeah. um, all of the books kind of have this cop stuff in there, which makes it really fun. And you have a lot of these cop illustrations. And they actually, it actually makes you, I think, uniquely positioned in terms of your profession to be able to use – Particular concepts or tools that you have as a cold case detective to um, uh, to apply them to something like scripture that we don't have. So this is a fun ride for us when we read through your material and see the graphics and all that other stuff. But the chain of custody is one is so helpful to me because there is uh, there are claims, of course, that the gospels were written late uh, or that you can't trust the material. Uh, you know, we have we have you know barter. I mean, I've obviously written a lot of books challenging the textual integrity and, and therefore the, the integrity of the content. The continuity the continent content over time right, right. right. has it changed so, over time yeah right. who, who knows what the primitive church the early church actually believed you know kind yeah. of thing but this concept of chain of custody to me was such an eye-opener so spend a few moments and describe the, the police concept and how it applies here to the New Testament yeah
1: so the idea is that 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 if something is collected as evidence couldn't it be tampered with and you see this a lot making of a murder was a was a special on Netflix so it got huge viewership mm-hmm. and one of the arguments there and of course that was that was created by the defense team of the suspect who was in custody. So naturally, it's going to be inclined toward the defense. Mm -hmm. And it it claimed that police officers pulled blood out of property from the victim and planted that blood at a scene so that an item collected was actually clean prior to it being contaminated.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: So- so that, there's the question, has a piece of evidence been tampered? And that's kind of the, the claim that a lot of skeptics make. Look, by the way, that claim, though, does kind of admit that there's an early version of Jesus. Mm-hmm. One, one, one one approach is, okay, there's no, nothing early. It's all centuries later. Mm-hmm. But to make the claim that it was changed over the first three centuries has to at least admit there was an early version. That's then, a good right? point.
0: I never thought about
1: that. That's good. So they're, they're claiming there's an, er, there, there's an early version, but it was changed. So there's a simple Jesus of Nazareth, preaching rabbi, sweet guy, taught some good moralistic sermons, but never walked on water, wasn't born of a virgin, never raised from the grave. But this is all the supernatural additions that mm-hmm. were added over the first three centuries before you get to the Council of Nicaea, or the Council of Laodicea, I should say, where finally we're talking about, well, how do we compare these uh, views of Jesus? Mm-hmm. And so the question is, how do we know it hasn't been changed? Well, that is really about, uh, and from an evidence perspective, about figuring out, like, who's the first person to collect the evidence? Who does he give it to? What do they say about it? Do they document the transition in in terms of criminal trials? And then did they bring it to the crime lab? And so what we typically do is we have somebody at the scene, takes the first picture, writes the first report. The next person who touches it will take another report, sometimes take another picture, bring it to the crime lab, write a report. It was released to the crime lab on this date. They write their reports, take more pictures. It eventually gets to me. I take a picture usually so I can show it to the DA. Here's what we're going to use in trial. And so I've got picture after picture after picture and report after report after report report that'll document the state of the evidence. Over time. So we can see over time. Did it change? Did it change? Right, these are like links in a chain that connect the past to the present. Mm -hmm. And so we're just trying to see, is any link missing? Because mm-hmm. that that may be where it was tampered with. Yeah, and that's the so, cha- chain
0: of custody. Chain you of know, custody. This, right. this evidence was in the custody of someone that was a position yeah. to report upon
1: it at the time. And I can I've had a case for example with uh, some some attorneys are bigger sticklers about this than others. I you know if you, I worked with you know Robert Shapiro on a case, he's the OJ Simpson attorney, and you know he was the kind of guy who would he would have an evidence show. He would ask us to pull all the evidence out. He was very meticulous about this, trying to figure out where he could poke holes in our case. And so you spend a lot of time trying to be very clear about where this evidence went over time. And you can do the same thing with the New Testament. You could look at who's the first writer, who claims to be the first writer, and then who were the students of that writer. That's the next link in the chain. And who were those people's students? And so I I remember... You know, thinking this is how we're going to have to to, to answer this question I had for myself. Mm-hmm. It's one of the four things we assess in eyewitness testimony Have they changed their story over time. You know, all my nobody murders, we convicted those guys because they changed their story over time. That mm-hmm. was really the biggest piece of evidence we had in front of a jury, mm-hmm. change story over time. Mm-hmm. So I just did the same thing with this and I started looking at, well, okay, if I start with John, where does that chain of custody go? How do I get from John to the council of Laodicea? If I start with Peter, how do I get to the council of Laodicea? If I start, am starting with Paul. How do I get to the, how do I know that these documents have remained in the original conditions they were? So if you look at the original students of those who said they were eyewitnesses, and I include Paul because Paul saw Jesus on the road to Damascus. Mm -hmm. If you didn't have the eyewitness documents, no gospels, no letters of Paul, You'd be stuck with the exact same version of Jesus we have today if all you had were the first students of those folks in the late first century. Mm-hmm. You're stuck with the same Jesus. Some now, examples
0: know, in, the, in the case of John were uh, you know this better than I do. Papias,
1: I, Polycarp, and, and, and uh, Ignatius mm-hmm. are the students of. Now, what people will do on the skeptical side is they'll say, well, we don't know for sure the level to which they knew John. Okay. Mm-hmm. Look, look if you, this is what every defense attorney does, is he, he wants you to not see the forest through the trees. He, right. he wants to focus on every little tree to try to little cast Every leaf, out. Right, right. But that means we have to have a grand conspiracy involving generations of Christians over centuries of time in various locations around the Roman Empire to pull this <laughs> off. And sorry, that to me is not nearly as reasonable as just follow the evidence where it leads. Right, right. And we have to tell jurors this all the time. Don't get—we have actually visual graphics. You know, mm-hmm. don't get stuck on the tree. This is a part of a forest. This is death by a thousand paper cuts. This is really a much bigger case than that. That defense attorney wants you to believe. Mm-hmm. What are the odds that all of these paper cuts would actually point to the same conclusion? Yeah, yeah.
0: This,
1: I mean, really—that that's really what to help, help jurors to see.
0: This is a, uh, a a motif that you follow in uh, God's Crime Scene, which uh, mm-hmm. uh, it's a whole nother approach to the enterprise in, in very detailed, a lot of ways, very sophisticated, I think, because of all the topics that you deal with. I mean, and you, you, you deal with the origin of the universe, you deal with design in the universe, you deal with the problem of evil, to man's sense of morality, you, you deal with, uh, I'm trying to just off the top of my head. The, the design
1: and biology, the origin
0: of life. Well, yeah, that's right. Know, consciousness, that kind of consciousness, consciousness, and uh, free of agency. will, free agency. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's, there's all of these things that are features of the world. Features of reality that, if you're going to be careful about your worldview, are going to have to be explained in light of your worldview. And one of the sure. points that you make here, and this is how relates to this, what you're just offering, uh, is that that um, any individual thing like the origin of the universe or the design of the universe or one's sense of morality or what appears to be free moral agency or human consciousness of these all these things you deal with. There are different people who have all kinds of different ways of trying to explain uh, other alternatives for that than God, okay? Uh, It turns out in any individual case, God looks like the better alternative, but nevertheless, one of the strengths of that approach is that we point out is that here is an answer that answers every single one of these. You don't have to have these, right. this whole collection of ad hoc explanations. It's, it's so does, unified and it's similar to this uh, chain of custody uh, argument that you're using.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, and part of it is, if you think about the evidence we talked about in God's Crime Scene, is that, that these folks who offer an, a solution for the fine-tuning of the universe, that solution does nothing to explain free agency. Right. It's not a coherent, single solution that is a robust worldview that mm-hmm. knocks down all of our questions. It mm-hmm. actually responds to all of our questions. Mm-hmm. Not only that, there's like 10, you know, 10 folks who will try to explain the origin of the universe, mm-hmm. 10 different theories. And these guys don't even agree with each other, right? let alone you know, the addressing of the other seven pieces of evidence we talked about. So I'm looking for one grand theory of everything. And that theory mm-hmm. of everything is called God, because yeah. that happens to be the Christian worldview, for example. Mm-hmm. But in that, even in that case, that's why we wrote Gold Case, because you can make a case for God from God's crime scene as a, as a, as a Muslim, we needed to know, how do I turn, how do I know that, that, that the God of the New Testament is the God we're describing in right. crime scene? That's right. a whole different enterprise. And that's this one. You know, I'm going to bring something up because you mentioned this about how we try to use these de- detective. When I first taught this class, Cold Case Christianity at Biola, I had a student and he was in the class and he said, you know, I got to be honest, I'm here, but I kind of think this is just a gimmick. Like, this is just a gimmick. Hmm. Like, you're just, like, leveraging this. Like, if I was a plumber, I'd have a plumber's attitude about this whole set of collection <laughs> of evidence, right? And I said, okay, that's fair. I think that's really fair. And I'm going to – wait to – let's go through the class. You know, I'll show you the approach I'm taking. And then you tell me at the end if you still think it's a gimmick. And I've had people online, like a lot of doubters will to make, create videos or, you know, they – first of all, two things you know they're going to – if you turn – if you become a, a, a Christian at 35 and you were an atheist, up to that point. Mm-hmm. Well, then they're going to say, we kind of do the same thing. If, if we have an atheist, who says he became a Christian, we're going to say, well, he was, you know, a, or a Christian who became an atheist. We're going to say, well, I'm not sure he was ever really a Christian. Right. Well, the same thing is true on the other side. I get this all the time. Uh, he was never really an atheist. Well, okay. Lots of people knew me on that side of this. And I'm, and, i am not I'm pretty comfortable that they'll remember the work Wh- i
0: wanted. whatever it's still a distraction it doesn't go to the issue at all but nevertheless it issue. sounds compelling go ahead yeah well,
1: and not only that I just had somebody you know in the last i've been in in Alaska all summer, but I had somebody create a video they were talking about they doubted my my origin story because of the way i my our our cold case team all this stuff on the wall back here it started around two thousand six or seven mm-hmm. can't remember the exact foundation of it and I became a christian a decade or more earlier. So how long were you really a cold case detective? Okay. So just let me clear that up. Um, so all of us, probably across the country, 90% of, of detectives who are investigating cold cases are not cold case detectives. Why? Because that the agencies can't afford that as a special designation. Mm-hmm. So all of us working in a team are usually assigned a case to work collaterally or If you're like me, I had an interest in cold cases. Mm -hmm. About a year before I became a Christian, my dad worked a case from 1972, 10-year-old girl. Her name was Terry Lynn Hollis. And when she was kidnapped and murdered, it shook our community because I was about 11 when she was killed in 72. And my dad, it changed the way you allowed your kids to play in their Mm -hmm. front yard because we didn't know how she was snatched, probably from pretty close to her front yard. So it just changed our community and it always stuck in my mind because it was never solved. So I happened to be uh, assigned as a detective uh, and I was already a senior detective. So I've been a detective for some time and I, I was walking by, I was working on a surveillance team at the time and I was walking by a detective's desk and this had been on an old shelf and I saw Terry Lynn Hollis. And I said, Ooh, I grabbed the two notebooks off the shelf and they were the written transcript of a young man who had confessed to killing her. And we took that guy to jail back in 73-ish, took him to court, at least to the preliminary hearing in 74. I've got a photo clip, of newspaper clip of my dad walking him across the parking lot. And he was never convicted of this. They thought, well, no, they eliminated him somehow with some primitive blood evidence. Mm-hmm. So I said, what if this is the guy? I mean, we have some technology now. Maybe this is the right guy. So I pulled that case and I started to look and do a forensic statement analysis on his about a thousand page transcript. He isn't the guy. Now, we, we worked that case off and on. It got solved in 2019. Hmm. So that's a lot of years after 1972 and a lot of years after I probably picked it up, in, I don't know, 94, or 95. Mm-hmm. So I don't remember the date, but it was pretty early. And I remember, uh, now, now the, so the question is, I'm a detective working a cold case. Was I a cold case detective? No. And so what happened is we actually successfully worked several cold cases collaterally. And because they were successful and we took two to jail, one was on Fox News, one was on Dateline. They said, wow, maybe it's time now to start a team, like Mm -hmm. a full-time team. Right, and they established our team, <laughs> but mm-hmm. we had been working cold cases for over a decade. Yeah, yeah, prior to that, all of us. And this is true anywhere in America, <clears> is <throat> that most agencies cannot afford full time. As a matter of fact, after I retired, they closed the team. Mm-hmm. So they just can't afford them if you're not really successful. So th- and this, it's is, really this is really hard.
0: This is how you were de facto cold case detective for a long time before you became an official. Cold case detective, detective. I really And then you're going to find people on the internet that look at these records and they start talking about it. I guarantee you this.
1: Anyone who's identified as a cold case detective on Dateline, 80% of them are not assigned to the cold case team because they don't have one. Yeah, yeah. They're just detectives who are working a cold case. Yeah. So that's just the nature of the business. And these things take forever. Mm -hmm. My cases take anywhere from five to eight to, well, this one, you know, a decade or Mm -hmm. two decades, whatever it was, to finally finish it. It's just the nature of cold cases. You you, you chip at them until you finally get a case. But
0: as a detective in general, <clears throat> and as uh, a, a de facto cold case detective before you became an official cold case detective, you had amassed a, a, a variety of skills that allowed you to make the kinds of assessment that you make in the book Cold Case Christianity. Now, right. You, well,
1: we had officially solved and convicted two cold case killers before we ever had the team. So, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: Yeah. So, um uh, you made a comment a few moments ago uh, that I've heard you say before, death by a thousand paper cuts. This, I think, goes to the question of circumstantial evidence, and uh, it, I learned something, of course, a number of things new from you, but this was one thing that surprised me, was about the uh, the legitimacy, validity of of circumstantial evidence. I remember my mom... <clears throat> watching movies or something, and then said, oh, well, that's all circumstantial. Oh, that, And even nowadays, you hear this kind of stuff, this dismissal, oh, that's just circumstantial, like that, as if it doesn't really count. It makes it look like somebody did something they probably didn't do, and you're just jumping to conclusion based on itty bitty things. But I learned something from you, and and that embedded in the uh, you know the, the, the whole trial procedure that's part of the state of California related to circumstantial evidence, and this is a big part of how you do your work or did your work for for now assessing Christianity and making the case for Christianity. So tell us about that.
1: Well, just keep in mind that all these cases stay open, like the Terry Lynn Hollis case. Um, When I first opened it, it was a lousy case. It's a lame case. They developed over 400 lead cards. It it shook our community so desperately that Uh they put a team of six detectives on it. 400 leads that went nowhere. The first year I was messing with that case, I just pulled the stuff out and looked at all these boxes. They had just booked all these things in the property in boxes. Oh, my gosh, what a nightmare. So the cases I get don't have, people say all the time, do you have any hard evidence for this? Mm Because that's not a category of evidence. There's no hard evidence for anything, just as there's no soft evidence for anything. There's only two kinds of evidence in criminal trials. There's direct evidence Mm -hmm. and indirect evidence. Direct evidence is when an eyewitness can tell you that they directly experienced something. So if somebody comes in and this is the the way they use it in trials in California, if someone was to come into the courtroom and say it's raining outside, mm-hmm. that would be considered a piece of direct evidence for the veracity of that it's raining outside. If somebody comes in, doesn't say anything to you, but they're covered in water and they take off their raincoat, they close their umbrella, they stick it in the stand. If somebody follows them and they got an umbrella, they close it, and they get the water off of them. Well, now this is indirect evidence that it's raining outside. Uh. So there's two forms of evidence we can use to make any case the eyewitness testimony, and by the way, the glowing rectangle is counts as uh, eyewitness testimony. It's, it's direct evidence because any eye that can then report something, yeah, that's a piece of direct evidence. Yeah, and what people don't see, I can do that. You held up your iPhone when you said glowing. Yes, have yeah, my iPhone. Yes, I know. So, so if you're so, taking a that,
0: picture or that kind. Yes, of Yes,
1: yeah, that's right. That's right. I have my, my iPhone because it has the latest picture of my granddaughter. I want to make that <laughs> oh, we selfless go. plug. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay, I want to start. Okay, <laughs> so the point is. Uh, um, but the point i'm trying to make is that uh, you know, that's what it, uh, indirect evidence is anything other than eyewitness testimony or a video or what about what about dna that's indirect then character, fingerprints opinion. indirect gunshot residue from hands indirect blood spatter evidence indirect dna indirect now i look you might say well i like the value of this piece over another fine but there's only two forms of evidence only two i don't have all i have in my cases. is is if there was an eyewitness 30 years ago, I would have stalled it 30 years ago.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It wouldn't be a, a cold case. So the cold cases I get are those death by there. So that's why we talk about apologetics, the project the, the, the to, you know, I'm an to accumula, cumulative case guy, mm-hmm. because that's my work. Mm-hmm. It was all cumulative case. I, I, mean, I, I did work, you know, I was assigned a robbery and homicide for five years and, and during that time, I collected a bunch of other cases that were not this way. The cases you make quickly because you've got four or five eyewitnesses. Those right. cases are fresh cases. But cold cases are different by nature right. because they usually don't have the benefit of eyewitnesses. So you build them on circumstantial. Ev- the other word for indirect evidence right. is circumstantial, circumstantial evidence. Yeah. And that's why there is a jury instruction where judges in every state, our state's no, no exception, have yeah, in California. So if they're mm-hmm. talking this way here, they're probably talking much more uh, you know, conservatively in other places but but the the instruction basically is hey you're to treat these two forms of evidence with the exact same weight the exact Mm -hmm. same value you're not to 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 denigrate one over another yeah so we have to teach that you know i sometimes think greg if this is why i wrote forensic faith that if we could just teach these principles of evidence that a lot of this the the skepticism would be revealed for what it really is uh-huh. which is a condition of the heart mm-hmm. because you really once you understand how uh, half the stuff I, you have to respond to are people who just don't understand how evidence works mm-hmm. that everything 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 counts mm-hmm. as evidence the stuff that's in the crime scene That counts. The stuff that should be, but it's missing, Mm -hmm. that counts. What did Mm -hmm. he say? That's going to count. What did he fail to say? That's going to count too. Mm -hmm. It's all the, it's a yin and yang of every possible little, and when we make cold cases, we're looking for all that stuff Mm -hmm. that has been sitting there all along. But nobody pointed out the fact that he never said this, mm-hmm. or this is missing from the crime scene. So we're having to point that stuff out. And It ought to be
0: there. Yeah. This reminds yeah. me of when when skeptics ask for proof for God, and it's mm-hmm. this word that's so equivocal, so ambiguous, and so flexible to them because if, unless this is clarified or it's dismissed, like the, we're not. That's not. I need you, you to rephrase this. You know, um, you yeah. can give all this good evidence, and they're going to simply say, well, that's not proof. Oh, that's nice, that's but right. it's not proof. And of course, their standards for proof are so much higher than they use for any other really important thing in their life. So, Well, this is uh, why
1: we spend a lot of time talking about jury instruction because, listen, this is true in juries. You get all the time where people, well, can you prove it to me? Well, I never use that word. I'm not going to prove to you anything. I'm going to give you the, the, the evidence and the most reasonable inference from evidence. Right. Now, you may not just—I dis- think that's proof, but that could be because something. This is why we do a voir dire process, where we're asking jurors like, what might stumble them, mm-hmm. and what are their biases that might stumble them in this jury? And we get to kick twenty six, and so does the other side, and we do kick those people off the jury because yeah. both sides wants a jury that's going to favor their side. Yeah, but what we're looking for people are that are passionate and unbiased.
0: Well, there's a there's a, um, uh, a, a, a there's a principle here I think that's important to keep in mind, and that when you're talking to people. Uh, You're assessing – when you're talking about spiritual things, you're assessing uh, the nature of the conversation, and you're trying to – it's good, as you've just suggested, to anticipate what kind of objection they may come up, where they're going to push back based on their personality, their background, or the kind of skeptic they are, whatever, and then be able to – to kind of um, you know cut that off at the pass or speak to it in some way beforehand or at least be prepared to address that when it comes up. I want to ask uh, another issue. This time's is flying by here. It's just uh, so much fun talking. We should have scheduled two hours, you know. But uh, nevertheless, um, uh, people are getting a good sense of the kind of contribution that you you have been making for years, Jim. Uh, and um, eyewitness testimony, uh, direct evidence, everything else is indirect. Uh, in the case of the New Testament, we actually have both kinds, okay, direct yes. and indirect. However, the eyewitness testimony, um, the let me just put the uh, the uh, the alleged eyewitness testimony at this point. We'll just talk like like. <laughs> Sure. So, like the like the media does the uh, yeah. So some guy, you got a video of somebody blowing everybody up. He says the alleged killer. You know, oh please. Yeah. You know? So, but, <laughs> but 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 this now for in, in the mind of many people the alleged eyewitnesses. So this is being uh, a, a taken uh, exception with. Oh, they weren't really eyewitnesses. So y- y- here you are looking at the. Um, um, you you are looking at the record that we have mm-hmm. the the, mm-hmm. the 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 alleged lie witness testimony and the testimonies of those who followed that was the, your your um, chain of custody. So right. uh, how how do you assess these? You know, this this cold case, 2,000 years cold, based on eyewitnesses that are no longer alive for you to, in a certain sense, cross-examine or get more detail or whatever. How, how does that process work for you with regards to the New Testament documents?
1: Well, and that's often the case for our cold cases. I mean, the guys, like in the Terry Lynn Hollis case, a lot of those people are not available to me anymore. People who would be at one point were even suspects in that case. Hmm. So, so, yeah, that's—and as a matter of fact, when we finally identified the guy who did this, he had been dead about 15 years. So, so, you know, this is the kind of stuff that happens when you work a cold case. Um, so I always tell people, I don't trust anyone. You know that. I mean, most people who call me for advice, they're calling me for the glass half empty view, (laughs) right? Yeah. Ask Danielle. Danielle schedules all the standard, standard, all the uh, the reality shows, uh, reality conferences we do, and and so and Danielle and I have known each other since we were doing youth ministry together, and she will tell you that if she's like needs to hear the negative side, she'll just call me because Uh I'll tell her, you know, this guy's a liar, this guy, you know, I mean, just the the skeptic in me, right? The pessimism in me is is, comes out because that's what's helpful as a Detective, yeah, is that uh, you have to be distrustful. Yeah. So I don't trust anybody. Yeah.
0: But we, uh, yeah, so I don't I, trust. I you see is. a murderer under every bush, so you know we yes. get some kind yes. of. Under, this way. If, but see, if, this, yes. I'm glad that you said this because this is Jay Warner's approach to all of this stuff. He's not. Uh, he is a hostile skeptic of everything until he's fully convinced that he can right. stand solidly on the evidence.
1: Okay, it really is bad on this side of the, of the cross because it's bad. that I don't have. Like I need, it's a trust issue, right? Yeah. It's it's, but it served us so well. But people will say, "What do you think of this guy?" And it's somebody we know. Mm-hmm. And I'll say, "Okay, here's what I'm seeing."
2: <laughs> yeah, that's and it's right. It's always
1: from the skeptical side of the things, right? So I have to let go of that. But but I will tell you that it does serve you well if you assume everyone's a liar. Someone's eventually going to go to jail. If you assume everyone's a truth teller, no one ever goes to jail. Uh-huh. So you have to assume everyone's a liar. And now and then people be proved say, otherwise. It uh, be that's right. Be convinced otherwise. Better word That's right. And so what happens? online is you'll see people will say, well, you can't trust eyewitness testimony, even if they're willing to, but by the way, when they say that they're granting then that this is eyewitness testimony. Mm-hmm. So but you can't have it both ways. If we're going to say that ways. you can't trust eyewitnesses, well, okay, well, you've already granted me the pre- premise that they're eyewitnesses, mm-hmm. but I'll tell you, I don't trust them. I didn't trust them to start with. I don't think you should trust any, it's true. Eyewitness um, testimony can be unreliable. That's why we have a test. That's why the jury instructions provide 13 questions, which I list in the book, that you can use to assess eyewitnesses. I don't trust eyewitnesses. You test eyewitnesses. Mm -hmm. Now, there's also a jury instruction that says if they pass the test, you must trust them. Mm -hmm. Now, if you can show me where they don't pass the test, fine, that's up to you. And you might say, well, look, I've I've run these 13 questions in my head. They came back – it comes back to those four areas that I talk about in the book. So the questions are kind of reworded to kind of capture those four notions. Were they really there to see what they said they saw? Have they changed their story over time? Can Mm -hmm. they be corroborated? Do they possess a bias? Mm -hmm. So those are the four areas. And if they pass the test in those four areas – because people will say this all the time. Well, I just know this. I just have an intuition about him. Mm-hmm. When he came on the stand, just the way he said things. He, okay, that's not part of the test. Yeah. Okay? That's right. If he, he passes he, the he, test in all the other areas, get over it. Okay, Mr. Sherlock, okay, get over it because yeah, were you the he's, he's gotta pass the test.
0: As I we you wanna put a photo of, of, of a of a um uh you know, an accused defendant. <laughs> That had all these tattoos on his face. It's like, right. a, was that you? And so and you got to ask the yeah, sure, jury. This is going to influence you because you look at this guy. Said, no, it's he's true. guilty. You know, no. I've he's had cases guy. where this
1: guy's so heavily tattooed that the, the defense will, will 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 screen jurors. Now we we aren't going to do that. <laughs> if you it, honestly, the, the prosecutors are more than happy to put a, a, a box full of jurors that, that that hate these tattoos. Yeah, but the defense mm-hmm. team's going to stop that. They're going to ask that question.
2: Mm-hmm. If you
1: can't be fair because of how he looks, because this is so often the case with eyewitnesses mm-hmm. they don't like something about the eyewitness right maybe even a view the eyewitness holds there, maybe it's their politics that then they, they therefore can think this guy could say nothing true as a witness even mm-hmm. though this has nothing to do with this political view this has nothing to do well this is often what happens with the gospels they don't like the world view that's behind the testimony mm-hmm. yet that is not something we allow jurors to consider They have to consider those strict four areas that we've talked about in the book. Mm -hmm. And if they pass the test, and there is no claim of antiquity which passes the test better than this one. Mm -hmm. So if we're going to have this kind of skepticism about Jesus, you better toss out all of history. Mm -hmm. Because this this is the most analyzed, uh, preserved document about an ancient person you can possibly imagine. And I just don't know. What more you'd expect, given the antiquity of the claims, mm-hmm. nothing does a better job. So give us a little thumbnail sketch of those tests and how they apply to the Gospels. That so give you the
0: reason to, to trust them as bonafide, you uh, yeah. Vertical. Yeah,
1: some, pe- some people will say they they were there and they saw this thing and they were never even there because they're trying to help out a buddy. Yeah. So we have to make sure number one, were they really there? And that the question for me was, is this written early enough to have been written by somebody who was present to see what they said they saw, or mm-hmm. at least was written early enough so the people who were there could fact check it? So in other words, if you want to lie about Jesus, it's pretty easy. Wait till everyone is dead. You can say whatever you want because mm-hmm. no one's going to be there to say you're a liar. Mm-hmm. So that. that Is it early? So early dating is part of the book. I Mm -hmm. I wanted to know how early could I, could these things be written? Mm -hmm. Also, I don't expect these to be written immediately. There's because, because here's, I really believe that those first century authors thought that Jesus was going to return in their lifetime. Like there's a sense of urgency. He could return at any moment. Mm -hmm. And it's not until you see the death of James, the brother of John, which is around 44, that I think you start to see the gospels uh, emerge. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like you realize, Hey, we're not going to get out of this alive so our verbal testimony is not going to be enough we need to write this down we're going to get killed before this is over which was in fact the case so so i think there's a reason why they weren't written down early but here's what i would say to that um i don't know if you've ever like gone back and looked at the transcripts for like let's see you've, you've probably taught done tactics a bazillion times, <laughs> even before you wrote the book yeah uh, i know you did the story of reality uh, a bazillion times uh-huh. as credo before you ever wrote yeah. the story of reality. Which, by the way, I, I
0: was... publicly thank you for uh, convincing me in about 60 seconds that Credo as a title for a book really was not marketable. And so we opted for the subtitle, The Story of Reality. And and uh, that took me really 45 seconds over dinner there at the uh, Cheesecake yeah, Factory, the you know, in Thousand notes, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and you hammered me. My wife was there with it. I said, okay, well, I changed your name. So now you changed my title. So, okay, great. That's, right. that's Quit right. pro even. quo there.
1: <laughs> yeah, we're even. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But uh, that that's the kind of thing that really, you know, I just needed to know. We need to be able to figure out. Um, Number one, is this written early enough and can we trust that it's written early enough? And I don't believe it matters how early that is in the sense that when you were doing the credo talks, you did them over and over. If I took the transcripts from the last 10 talks you did, you know what I'd find? They're probably not only word for word identical, pretty close, yeah. but even if I had the wave files, the inflections, the breaks mm-hmm. between, because we do these, we're telling the same story for mm-hmm. 10 years. Well, I'll tell you what, if you tell the same story for 30 years, mm-hmm. you're even more locked in. right. And so I do believe that those first notions and those first observations about Jesus were spoken very early. You see that in the book of Acts right. spoken repeatedly by a group that thought that there's an urgency in this, that needed everyone who had ears needed to hear it. Mm-hmm. And if we were giving our talks that frequently, they would preserve word for word over decades because mm-hmm. mine have, if you look at the way I talk about these topics, it hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. And, and it, you could, you could take the wave files and it can lay them down. If I'm mm-hmm. doing the same talk now or 15 years ago, it sounds the same. Mm-hmm. And that's why I have great confidence that they were number one, I make a case for early dating. And then if that's the case, I think it doesn't really matter when the first, um, Book is authored because I believe that they were immediately ingraining this (laughs) content in a culture that was oral. Mm -hmm. So I don't I don't have a problem with it.
0: And Jesus did the same thing with his preaching, just like we do. And itinerant preacher, you know, sometimes you get these different accounts, and they may be different summaries of of Jesus. What people don't always realize is our doctrine of inspiration is about the writing. It isn't yes. about the original speaking. Now, we're not saying that That's Jesus right. wasn't speaking with authority as God then, but, the, but we're, we, what we're focusing in on is the God superintending of the writing and the record. And so you could have different summaries that are still equally inspired by God. But it right. certainly is and, likely— But also,
1: if you know this, look, you, I, in my collection of files on my computer, if someone says, can you come out and speak about God's crime scene? Well, how much time do you have? Uh, Forty-five minutes. Okay, I've got a, a two-hour version, a forty-five-minute version, yeah, I've got really. a thirty-five-minute version, yeah. and if you if you're summarizing that talk, it's going to have less detail than if you talk, heard my two-hour version sure. of this. Sure. So I think we don't know how many times Jesus spoke these same things to different mm-hmm. crowds and what's been captured in Scripture either. So I'm pretty comfortable with that. You know, our friend Frank Turek we yes. used to do these fearless faith conferences together, <laughs> and and I used to tease him because he sells a lot of jokes. Yeah, and he would literally tell the same joke at the same point with the same pause, the same inflection. I said, yeah. I, it's, uh, I could do your jokes. That's right. And he said to me, he says, Jim, do you think you're any different than me? And I realized, <laughs> no, I'm not actually. <laughs> We're all that way. All that's of us, why right? I'm pretty comfortable with the fact it got transmitted. So that's the first test. How is it early? And I'll make a case for early dating in the book, but that's the first test. Second test is, do we have any corroborative evidence? And, mm. and remember, corroborative evidence is just touch point evidence. We, I don't have videos on my cold cases. I don't. Um, uh, They're just too old. So I have to, so touch point corroboration is, okay, I saw this guy, he ran in the bank, he jumped over the counter and he yelled at the teller. Okay. Uh, Where did he jump over the counter? Right there. How did he do it? He used his left hand, he pushed up over the counter. Okay, great. I'm going to print that countertop. His palm print, if it's there, is going to corroborate what this witness just told me about that action. Mm -hmm. Yet, it's not going to tell me anything about what he looked like or what he said or what he was wearing Mm -hmm. because that one piece is just touch point evidence. Now, that's going to, corroborate my witness in some way and if i have more touch point evidence i will corroborate that witness even better and that's what we're looking for i'm not looking for every detail to be corroborated that's not the nature of corroborative evidence mm-hmm. evidence that corroborates is by its nature going to corroborate a small percentage of the overall claim and we have tons of this uh, from a variety of i think eight different sources i've mentioned in the book that from archaeology of course but mm-hmm. again each one is just going to give you a touch point. Now, here's what I would expect. Wait, let me jump
0: in and just make an observation because what you're describing is not just detective work. It's what every person does on a daily basis with all kinds of things they face in their life and all kinds of claims that are made. Any parent knows how this works, you know, because kids leave sometimes uh, more evident paper trail, so to speak, of their behaviors than others. But you're just looking at these little things and you're adding it up and say, Oh, I know what happened here. You know, you don't have right. the full perspective, but you're able to put it together. So this isn't, we're not, we're not encouraging no. people to do anything unusual here. Just as a detective, you are much better at it. And well,
1: it's just becomes the pattern of your life. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so a lot of this touch point corroborate, here's what I suspect. I suspect a case or someone says something and I can't find anything to corroborate them, for, for example, there is a thousand-year history in the Book of Mormon from 600 BC to 400 AD about what happened on the North American continent. Mm-hmm. Claims about cities, people groups, important leaders, monetary systems, weapon systems, animals that lived, grains that were
2: grown—none
1: mm-hmm. of which can be corroborated by the evidence because it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. So, I think part of it is I don't expect a hundred percent of corroboration. Mm-hmm. But I do expect some something, yeah. And, and if I course, get nothing, I'm suspicious. Well, then you have so, you also
0: have chariots with wheels pulled by horses, right? Neither of those existed in North America existed. before the Spaniards right. came, and it's whatever. So, in another issue, but going yeah. Well, great. also the kind of
1: sure. these are all uh, people who with Jewish origin who came across the Atlantic at the time of Jeremiah. Mm-hmm. Okay, there's no uh, Semitic blood in any of the DNA lines on the mm-hmm. North American continent. It's mm-hmm. all Northeast Asians that came across mm-hmm. and became the the indigenous. People groups it's an in- so interesting contrast is-
0: yeah because you, you 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 use the same kind of ass- ass- tools of assessment in in different circumstances and you come up with rich right. evidence in one and no evidence
1: in the other which yeah in will tell you, you that that was that was part of my journey, Greg, because the only religious people I knew were not Christians. It was my dad's second wife and my ha- half siblings who were all Mormons. Mm-hmm. And and because I knew that that was just demonstrably false, it, I think it actually kept me away from, I mean, you, people who don't know anything about religion or know anything about Christianity don't know how to separate Mormonism from Christianity. It's mm-hmm. all got Jesus in there somewhere, right? Yeah. So, So I think it really stumbled me. For a longer period of time because the only religious people i knew were not uh, they were mormons mm-hmm. and some of the claims just were even more fantastical than mm-hmm. the claims of christianity mm-hmm. so that's the second one is, is is you know can you corroborate this in some way the third is has it changed over time we talked about that with the chain of custody and the fourth is they possess a bias and bias always comes down there's there's a platform like the olympics right mm-hmm. the reasons why people lie are based on motives. And mm-hmm. if you're at the Olympics, you got the gold, the silver, and the bronze. Well, the three motives for all misbehavior, they stand on a pedestal like at the Olympics. That pedestal is called pride. Mm-hmm. Pride is behind every bit of misbehavior, Mm -hmm. not pride the way we talk about it in a cultural sense in America, but pride the way that scripture talks about it. Mm -hmm. This, this inclination to serve one's self over anything else. Mm -hmm. And that's what stands, that's the pedestal they stand on, but Mm -hmm. they are the pursuit of money, the pursuit of sex, relationships, and the pursuit of power. Mm -hmm. Those three things, which are all designed for good, are what we corrupt Mm -hmm. and use for evil. These are the things that are behind every lie and these are also the things that are behind every misstep that a pastor might make. If you wanted mm-hmm. to guard yourself as a pastor, those are the three areas you have to guard. Right. So they are, you know, they're, they're kind of a cautionary tale. And so I'm looking at the, the, the uh, any claim of a witness and asking myself, are they getting something out of it mm-hmm. in either money, sex, or, relationship, or relationships, or, or power? Because if they are, then I'm going to be a little more critical. And what I don't see in the Christian narrative – now, look, Bart Ehrman will say that – and the other skeptics, too, will say that, yeah, these people were nobodies until they made these wild claims. and Then they became somebodies. So it is a power, respect, authority issue. That's what they're claiming. That's just ridiculous, given the fact that Paul was already in that position. He already possessed the authority, power, and respect he used to draw up papers against Christians. Mm -hmm. So what is he going to jump out with the bigger group, which if you think about the the Roman Empire – Jews were in a special category. Mm-hmm. Others could, had to bend their knee to the Roman gods. Mm-hmm. Jews didn't. They, he had protection in some ways over there. So I'm going to jump out of this group where I lead mm-hmm. and get my rear end kicked all over the planet for the next yeah. 30 years, hoping in this smaller group to someday return to the position I already have?
0: Mm-hmm. No way. I mean, it's
1: possible. It's just you know, not reasonable. I,
0: I have a rule about lying. I, I, I tell audiences, and I said, all your kids know this, okay? You only lie to get something good. You don't lie to get yourself whipped, stoned, beaten with rods, crucified upside down or beheaded. (laughs) <laughs> that's, that's not right. a that's not a
1: good lie. Okay, like yeah, also what, what was this, I
0: thinking? You know, yeah. Kind of. Thing, there's so. this
1: game in youth group we used to play all the time called Two Truths and a Lie. And you could, and I'll tell you, I always noticed this that you, you're supposed to tell two truths about yourself and one lie, and we're supposed to guess which yeah. one's the lie. Well, no one tells a lie that makes himself look bad. Usually, usually the lie is something like I used to own a Porsche. Yeah,
2: <laughs> because because, right. because you,
1: we are so prideful, and you know. So yeah, anyway, the sure. point is. Um, I think this is one of the things you have to evaluate those four things, right? And if they pass the test in those four areas, now that question becomes, what is keeping me out? Yeah, This is why that that process for me was took so long, nine yeah. months. It's yeah. not a quick process, well, but it's I'm, a process is worth taking.
0: I, I'm, I'm glad that God rocked you out and used all these things that you could pass on to other people like me and and so many like me in our in our fraternity. And then so many others that have benefited from your work, Jim. I'm really frustrated because I have five seconds here. But um, you have you, you, not only Cold Case, but you have spinoff products that relate to these different books that you've done. And your wife, Susie, worked with you on some of these for young people and for kids. And so you've got a whole, uh, you know, a whole bunch of things out there for people to benefit from. Uh, all the best on this new release of Cold Case Christianity and, and everything else. And uh, I look forward to the next time we're actually face to get, face together. Looking forward to it, too, Greg. I love you, brother. All right, buddy. J. Warner Wallace, Cold Case Christianity, updated and expanded 10th anniversary edition. Greg Kokel here for Stand to Reason. Give them heaven, friends.